Mark chapter 6. We'll begin by reading our text for today, which will be verses 7 through 13. Mark chapter 6. Verse 7 says, He called unto him the twelve, and began to send them forth two by two and two, and gave them power over unclean spirits, and commanded them that they should take nothing for their journey, save a staff only, no scrip, no bread, no money in their purse, but, we sh- but be shod with sandals, and not put on two coats." And he said unto them, In what place soever ye enter into an house, there abide till ye depart from that place. And whosoever shall not receive you nor hear you when ye depart thence, shake off the dust under your feet for a testimony against them. Verily I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. And they went out and preached that men should repent. And they cast out many devils and anointed with oil many that were sick and healed them. Heavenly Father, we pray for your help as we look into your word this morning to see the wisdom of your plan for reaching the world with the life-saving message of the gospel. And I pray that we would be obedient and faithful to do our part as we go out to preach the message that salvation is found in Jesus and Jesus alone. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever stopped to think about the fact that Jesus did not attempt to single-handedly reach the world with the gospel? That's kind of astounding to me because Jesus is God, He is the Creator, and He could have chosen any method that He wanted to to get the gospel out throughout the whole world. He could have, at any point, He could still do this if He chose to exercise His sovereignty this way. He could simultaneously broadcast the gospel over the entire earth so that all people everywhere would hear it supernaturally. Or, while he was here on this earth, he could have literally multiplied himself, just made copies of his human form and sent those copies out all over the world. But that's not how Jesus chose to spread the message of salvation. Instead, Jesus has chosen to make copies of Himself through His disciples who would take the message of salvation to all the world. And in Mark chapter 6, verses 7 through 13, we read of the very first time that Jesus officially commissioned His disciples to go out and to preach. Now, this was before the cross, before the resurrection... And so, as we look through this, you'll see there's some aspects that are unique to their particular circumstance, but there are some universal principles found in this passage that still apply to those who follow Christ today. We see that Jesus called and commissioned these 12 disciples to go out as His official 
representatives. They didn't go out on a whim. They didn't go out at their own bidding. They went out under the authority of Jesus. And in doing that, they went out in total reliance on God for provision and success. We see how the disciples responded to that call with obedience. They went out and they preached. Now, some people would receive the message. Some people would reject the message. But for their part, they were not responsible for the actions of others. They were only responsible for their own obedience. They obeyed, and that obedience would honor God. Their content of their message was simple. They proclaimed the truth of repentance, that people needed to change their mind about the sin and their need of a Savior and turn to Christ. That's the message that John the Baptist preached, that Jesus preached, that the followers of Jesus should preach. But we also see how God worked through them to empower them and confirm the message. They were given miraculous abilities that proved that the message they were proclaiming was indeed truth from God. And though God operates a little differently today because we have the completed Scripture, we still have the promise of God's supernatural enabling as we go out and preach the message of salvation. So believers today are in a very similar position to these apostles here in Mark chapter 6 because we've been given a call, a commission to go and preach. It's our duty to obey, to trust God for the provision and for the results. And when we do, God will be glorified in it. We go out by the authority of Jesus, relying on God to work through us, to proclaim the message of salvation. I want you to notice with me some of the details about this passage before us. Notice, first of all, the commission that is indicated in verse number 7. It says, He called unto Him the twelve. Now these are what we typically would call the twelve disciples or later the twelve apostles. These were these twelve men who were particularly close associates of Jesus during His earthly ministry. These were 12 men that were handpicked by Jesus and called to be His followers and really His assistants in the ministry. These were the 12 men that Jesus invested so much time in during the years of His earthly ministry. And He calls them to Himself, and it says that this time He began to send them forth by two and two. This was the start of this commissioning, this delegating, if you will, of the job of sending the men out, the the followers of Christ out to spread the message of the gospel. But notice particularly how Jesus did this. It says He began to send them forth. Up to this time, these twelve had just been following Jesus. They had been sticking by Him wherever Jesus was, They were. And that was necessary for a time as they were being prepared, as they were being trained. But there came a day where that training was uh, completed to a point that they could now go out on their own. And so Jesus sent them forth. The command here was for them to go and to preach. When we think about God's command to us in the Great Commission, it is, Go ye therefore and teach all nations. It is, Go into all the world and preach the gospel. The Great Commission involves leaving where we are and going somewhere else to tell someone about the gospel. I know that seems basic, but I think we overlook that sometimes. Our job as followers of Christ is not to sit and wait, it's to go. 
We have been sent forth. It involves movement. It involves action. It involves effort. The truth is, a church that isn't going out is going stale. A church that isn't going out is going stale. You take a, a body of water, a pond for instance. If it has no flow, no water coming in, no water going out, it just sits there, what happens? It gets stagnant, right? It gets stagnant. And after a while, you can't even hardly stand to be near it because of the smell and the general ickiness, right? There has to be some action. There has to be some movement there in order for that to stay fresh. Well, I think that's a good illustration of the life of a church. No one wants to be a part of a stagnant church. But that will happen unless we are intentional about going and reaching the lost. Now, Jesus was not asking the disciples to do something that He Himself had not already done. Jesus had already set the example. John 20 and verse number 21, Then said Jesus to them again, Peace be unto you, as the Father hath sent me, even so send I you. So when Jesus sent forth those disciples, He was simply telling them to do what He Himself had already done. Remember that Jesus was sent from heaven to earth so that we could be saved. He came down from heaven, came to this earth, left where He was, went to a different place, if you will, so that we could be saved. And He's only asking us to do, be willing to do the same. To be willing to go into all the world and be a witness so that others might be saved. We've seen the command here to go, to be sent forth and to preach. But notice the company that Jesus gave them. He sent them forth by two and two. By two and two. He paired them up. I wish we had been given the list of the pairs. I think that would have been a very interesting study. Because you put some of these disciples in, in, in together and you know there was going to be some interesting conversations. We're not told who they're paired up with, but we are told that Jesus sent them out two and two. So you have 12, you divide them up into two, how many groups do you have? Very good class. So six groups that are going out. But notice what Jesus did here. He is now, if I could say it this way, multiplied His influence by six. Because instead of just Jesus going out, it's now these other six going out as representatives of Jesus. So there is this multiplying effect, but also Jesus was very careful that He did not send them out alone, but He gave each of them partners in the labor of preaching the gospel. And you know, God has done the same for us still today. The Great Commission is not given to just one follower of Christ. It is given to all the followers of Christ. And we are expected to work together to get the gospel out to all the world. God has given us partners in this work of reaching the world. First of all, we have each other. You, me, this whole church working together, we are partners in this process. We think about 
other churches of, that are also obeying God's command to go and to preach the gospel. They're partners with us. We're thinking about the missionaries that we support, and those who come through. They're partners with us. All of God's people everywhere as they, as they obey God's command are teaming up to fulfill the Great Commission and to be reaching the world. Ecclesiastes chapter 4 says, Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, the one will lift up his fellow, but woe to him that is alone when he falleth. For he hath not another to help him up. There is wisdom in teamwork. I know we have this ideal of, you know, um, kind of the lone stranger mentality. But you know, the lone stranger wasn't even alone. He had a sidekick and a horse, so... But some people have this idea, well, I'm just going to go out and do it all by myself. No, you're not. You need help. We all need help. We need each other. We are partners with each other in the work of the ministry. But you know what I think is even better than that? Turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Not only are we partners with each other, we are partners with God. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Look at verse number 8. It says, Now he that planteth and he that watereth are one. Speaking of the unity and the teamwork. And every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. But notice verse number 9. For we are laborers together... With God. Ye are God's husbandry, ye are God's building. We are laborers together with God. You know, Jesus said, Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. A yoke means work. And Jesus said, You're tired, you're laboring, come work with me. And you'll find that it is refreshing. We are laborers together with the Lord. We are in the yoke with Jesus doing the work that God has called us to do. The point is this, God has not left us alone. He's not left us without help. Sometimes we feel it can be discouraging trying to follow God, trying to do what is right, trying to be a witness, trying to be who God wants us to be. It can be discouraging and lonely. Sometimes we feel like we are the only ones. You look in the Bible and, and there are instances where people who were doing a great work for God got very discouraged and thought, I must be the only one doing this. I think about Elijah. Remember the story of Elijah and he had that showdown with the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel? And after that tremendous victory, Jezebel said, I'm going to kill you. And what did he do? He ran. He ran. And he got so despondent, he got, he got so depressed, if you will, that he began to even despair of his life. And God came and said, I'm going to paraphrase, all right? This is Chambers' ease right here. God came and said, boy, what are you fussing about? And Elijah said, well, I, I'm the only one who's serving you. And what did God tell him? You're not the only one. I've reserved seven thousand knees that haven't bowed the or seven thousand haven't bowed the knee to Baal. 
You're not the only one. And sometimes we feel alone. We feel like we're the only one, but it's not true. God has given us a host to partner with us and to help us. And most importantly, God has promised He will never leave us nor forsake us. In Matthew chapter 28, when Jesus gave the Great Commission there, He ended it by saying this, And lo, I am with you always. When you're standing at the checkout at the grocery store and you hand that cashier, that's provided you're not going through the self-checkout, right? You hand that cashier a track. You know, it's not just you handing that track. God's there with you. When you, uh, when you talk to your neighbor and God opens an opportunity for you to share some of the gospel with them, you know, it's not just you talking. God's there with you. And when you participate in the organized outreach program of, of our church, for instance, you'll see that there's not, it's not just you. You may wish that more would be involved, and that's, that's a great thing to wish for and to pray for. But you'll realize, hey, I'm not the only one. God has given us helpers. So we see the command, we see the company. But then... I want you to notice in the same verse the capacity. He gave them power, verse 7 says. He gave them power over unclean spirits. Now, the disciples were given special power here to do what they'd been called to do. Now, you have to understand that this was a transitional time before the New Testament Scriptures were completed. And so they could not go out and open up their Bible to John chapter 3 and read verse 16 because it wasn't there yet. So because they were proclaiming a message that was new, as it were, we know it, in, in light of eternity it's always existed, but as they were going out as the representatives of Christ, they were proclaiming this message, and so God gave them these special abilities to confirm that the message of the gospel was true. Now, don't, though we don't have the miraculous abilities like the apostles had, we have something even better. A lot of people, you know, the charismatic movement that started back really kind of in the 1800s makes a big deal about the sign gifts. And, and I've, I've heard it in their own words, how they think that the sign gifts are really more important than the Bible. Can I tell you, we don't need the sign gifts anymore because we have the infallible, inerrant, completed scriptures, the Word of God. And on top of that, we have something today that the disciples in Mark chapter 6 did not have. We have the indwelling Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit did not come to indwell the believers until Acts chapter number 2, the day of Pentecost. I know we think sometimes, well, wouldn't it be great if we could go out and raise the dead? I mean, can you just imagine if we were to go out and we were to raise dead people and word got around, everybody would come and want to hear what we had to say, wouldn't they? Wouldn't they? Would they? No, in fact... 
In the story of the rich man and Lazarus, Abraham told the rich man, after he had asked for Lazarus to be sent back to preach to his brothers so they wouldn't go to hell, Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And the rich man said, no, but if one were raised from the dead, they would believe. And, and Abraham said, no, if they will not believe, they will not hear Moses and the prophets. They would not believe though one were raised from the dead. Well, that kind of blows up charismatic theology, doesn't it? We think, well, if we just did these great, tremendous things like they did back in Acts and, and in the Gospels, then people would be saved by the billions. They wouldn't. If they will not believe the inspired, preserved Word of God, they wouldn't believe though all the miracles in the world were done right before their very eyes. And by the way, someone has risen from the dead and they still refuse to believe. But for our part, we see in this a reminder that God has indeed empowered us to go out and proclaim the message of the gospel. In Matthew 28, Jesus said, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore. That word therefore, it's important. At a youth pastor who first introduced this idea to me, he said, Whenever you see a therefore... Find out what it's there for. Because it's pointing you back to something to remind you, based on this, do this. Well, Jesus said, All power is given unto me in heaven and earth. Go ye therefore. Jesus is saying, I have the authority and I have the ability, and so therefore I'm telling you to go do this. The authority and the ability to spread the message of the gospel has been delegated to us by Jesus. Somebody says, what right do you have to go and tell someone else that they need to repent and trust Christ as their Savior? The answer is, we have the authority of the Creator God of the universe. Which, by the way, is why we do not seek a stamp of approval from any human institution, be it any level of government or any other body, it doesn't matter. Because our authority to preach does not come from the government. Did you hear that, Google? Our authority to preach does not come from a denomination. Our authority to preach comes from Jesus Christ Himself. And the ability to do that also comes from God through the indwelling Holy Spirit. We've seen the command, the company, the capacity. Notice next the continual dependence. In verses 8 and 9, we read something that I, I think is, is curious. It says that Jesus commanded them that they should take nothing for their journey save a staff only. No script, no bread, no money in their purse, but be shod with sandals and not put on two coats. I don't know how it is in your family. But in my family, whenever we go on a trip, 
There's a lot of preparation involved. My family is laughing over there. They're wondering which story is God is is, is Dad going to tell about this? We have we have gone on several trips together as a family, and when it came time to pack, I had no idea how we were going to get it all in the car. You see our our vehicle sometimes before we go on a week of vacation, and we look like the Clampets. Okay, I'm just going to tell you. You know why? Because we want to be prepared. And so these disciples are going out. And you think, all right, they got to go out. They're going to be going they, all these different towns, all these different places. they got to get everything they need, right? And so they're, they're going to pack their bags, and they're going to they're load a wagon up, and they're going to have extra food and extra money and extra clothes and extra, you know, have everything they need. But what did Jesus tell them? He said, go out, preach. Oh, by the way, don't take anything with you. All right, you get shoes and a stick. That's it. Nothing extra. One coat. Not two. One coat, shoes, and a stick. Why did Jesus do that? I mean, that... Listen, I, don't misconstrue this, by the way. I don't, this is not to be taken as Jesus discouraging preparation. That's not what He's doing here. But Jesus was doing this for a, a purpose. He was sending them out with minimum resources. And he was doing it to prove a point. Because while they were going out with minimum resources, they had the maximum promises of God. And what he wanted them to see is that they could go out with nothing extra. And God would provide for them everything they needed along the way. Guess how many of these disciples starved to death in this story? None. Guess how many of them died of exposure to the weather? None. Guess how many of them collapsed on the roadside and had to be buried there because they were so exhausted? None. What happened? When they obeyed, God fulfilled His promise and He sustained them. Because, as we've already said, He would be with them to enable them and to empower them. We have the promise of Jesus' permanent, powerful presence with us. So it doesn't matter how much or how little in terms of human resources we have. Whatever God gives us, we make the best of it. We be good stewards of it. But we don't depend on material resources to do a spiritual work. Sometimes we, we mistakenly think that our problem is, well, we just don't have enough, and you fill in the blank. Let's pick an easy one, money. You know, if as a church we just had, you know, a billion dollar grant, well, we could really reach the world with the gospel. You know, we could do all this stuff. We can buy enough ads and we can hire enough people and we could, we could build huge buildings and have all of these wonderful programs and, and, and it would be great and so many people would be saved. But that's not how it works. Because when you depend on material things to do spiritual work, you may possibly attract large crowds and have a lot of activity and 
And other people might look and see and say, well, that's, that's the way to do church right there. That's the way to do ministry. But the chances are very, very small that you're actually going to be making an eternal difference because you're depending on material things and you're doing the work of God and the power of the flesh. But in contrast, when you have little and you have to depend on God for your daily bread, then when God does great things, who gets all the credit for it? God does. You see, you look at a church that has, you know, they're just rolling in money. Who most of the time gets the, the glory, the praise? The people who provided the money, right? But when you see a church that may not have a whole lot of material resources, and yet God's doing a great work in them and through them, then you have to say, it's all God. He gets the credit. And so by going out with very little, depending on God every single day, this continual dependence that is demonstrated here, God would get all the glory for what was done through them. We must abide continually in Christ and rely on Him for the ability to do what we ought to do. Jesus said in John 15 and verse number 4, Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine. No more can ye, except ye abide in me. So the way that they would be provided for would be through the generosity of others. Notice how Jesus went on to say in verse number 10, In what place soever ye enter into an house, there abide till ye depart from that place. So the disciples may have been thinking to themselves, well, we can't take any money. That means we're not going to be able to stay in hotels, go to restaurants, all that typical stuff. How are we going to exist? How are we going to survive? Jesus said that there would be people who would open up their homes to them. So God, God's plan was for these disciples that He would provide for them along the way through the generosity of others. And Jesus, notice how he says it in verse 10. In what place soever ye enter into an house, there abide till ye depart from that place. In other words, what Jesus was saying here is be content with whatever provision you are given. So let's say they go into a town and they, uh, the first day they're there, they preach the message of salvation and maybe someone gets saved. And that person is, is grateful that they've come and and shared that message, so they say, do y'all need a place to stay? I'm sure they said y'all in Bible times, by the way. Because <laughs> I've got an extra room if you'd like to come. And the disciples would say, well, yes, thank you so much. We need a place to stay. And they would go and they would stay at this person's house. What Jesus says, then, the end of verse number 10, abide, there abide till you depart from that place. Don't go into the person's house and then the next, ba next day, be like, you know what? That person across the street's got a much nicer house. I wonder if they'd put us up. And I smelled the food coming from next door. It smelled a lot better than what we had here last night. I wonder if they've got a spare bedroom. No. There abide till you depart. In other words, be content with the provision that God gives. As we do the work of the Lord, sometimes it's easy... <laughs> 
It's easy for us to be discontent. We think, well, I don't have enough of this, I don't have enough of that. If I would have this, if this would be different. And we have to learn that whatever God gives us, no matter what we think of it, is truly the best for us. That's contentment. We say, but yeah, but I'd rather have this. That's discontentment. God has given you this thing. Be content with that thing until God chooses to give you something different. Contentment, by the way, only results from that continual dependence on God. Because if you are depending totally and completely on God to provide for you, then you will not be looking for anything other than what God has provided for you. Hebrews says, Take heed and beware of covetousness, and be content with such things as ye have. For he hath said, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee. So this continual dependence of the disciples here would be demonstrated by their contentment, by being satisfied with what God provided for them through others. I want you to notice with me uh, very quickly, first of all, in verse 11 now, there's a caution given. Whosoever shall not receive you nor hear you, when ye depart thence, shake off the dust under your feet for a testimony against them. Verily I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. So the disciples were to go out and they were to go into whatever cities that God led them to go into and they were to preach the message of the gospel and they were to give everyone a chance. The people had to hear the message. In verse 11, there's a, a presumption here that people have heard the message, but there are some that will not receive it. So whosoever shall not receive it, they heard it, but they rejected it. If they reject the message and the messenger... Then the disciples here were commanded to shake the dust off their feet for a testimony against them when they departed. There's a word of caution here, and let me just summarize it this way. When we go out and we share the message of the gospel, there's one of two possible reactions. It can either be received or rejected. I know that seems simple, but again, it's important for us to realize that's just... The reality, not everyone who hears the gospel will receive it when we share it with them. For those who reject the gospel message and thereby reject us as the messenger, sometimes we are tempted to take that personally. We're tempted to think, I must be a failure because this person didn't believe well, let me ask you this. Did everyone who heard Jesus Christ preach believe? No. Many people heard the gospel from the mouth of the Son of God and still rejected it. So what Jesus was saying here is this. If people reject you, don't take it personally. Don't take it personally. Just shake the dust off your feet. That act of shaking the dust off was symbolic. Because what you're saying is, I, I'm not, I'm not going to take this with me. I'm going to leave even the dust of this town here. I'm not taking the rejection with me. 
I've done what God called me to do and it breaks my heart that they would reject it, but I'm not going to take it personally. I'm going to move forward and I'm going to keep obeying. If the world rejects us because we belong to Christ, is that really a bad thing? Is it? If the world says, I don't like you because you follow Jesus, that's a compliment. It really is. Because what they're saying is, I don't like your Jesus, so I don't like you. If we're that closely associated with our Savior, that's not bad. Do we want to be accepted by the world or by God? Is what it boils down to. John chapter 15, Jesus said, If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love his own. But because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. There's a word of warning here, but there's also a word of encouragement. The word of warning is to the unbelievers. When Jesus says, Verily I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. The greater the privilege, the greater the responsibility. And Jesus said, those cities that would reject the gospel that you share with them will be judged severely. But there's a word of encouragement here. Because He says that we would shake the dust off of our feet for a testimony against them. It might be that those people who reject Christ as their Savior when we share the message of the gospel with them, that one day they would stand before God and maybe they would try to offer excuses such as, well, I, I never had a chance. But if we've been faithful to obey God's command, God can point to our witness and say, no, you had a chance. Do you remember that time where those people from Philadelphia Baptist Church came and knocked on your door and they gave you gospel literature and they tried to share with you the truth and you rejected it? Do you remember that? You had your chance. Jesus said that it will be a testimony against them, our obedience. Even if they reject the message, will bring glory to God. God is glorified through the obedience of His children, whether the message of the gospel is accepted or rejected. Now look at verse number 12, and we'll close with this. The first four words of verse number 12 shows us their compliance. It says, And they went out. And they went out. Jesus paired them up, gave them the instructions, sent them forth, and they went out. Jesus said, Go, and they went. You know, there's a story in the Gospels about Jesus casting demons out of a possessed man. And in the story, the demons asked Jesus not to send them out into the deep, into the abyss. And asked that He not do that. And so Jesus sent them out into a herd of swine. And in our Bible, it tells us that Jesus uttered one word to that legion of demons. You know what the word was? Go. 
And what happened? A whole host of demons went out, possessed a herd of swine. The swine ran off a cliff into the water and a lot of bacon went bad. I think about that story. Has it ever struck you that even demons are sometimes more obedient than Christians? Because Jesus said, go, and the demons went. But yet Jesus says to all of His disciples today, He says, go, and how many stay? The disciples, they went out. It remains to be seen whether or not we will obey as Jesus' disciples in Mark chapter 6 did. Each of us has to make the choice. Will I be obedient to our Savior's command to go and preach the gospel? Or will I stay? The choice is up to us. Heavenly Father, I thank You for the wisdom that was demonstrated by our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And though He could have supernaturally spread the message of the gospel, He chose to implement a process that could be duplicated and multiplied over and over again throughout the centuries to reach the world. And that we get to have a part in that And that we get to be blessed through it. And Lord, as I think about where our church is, Lord, we see you doing great things in our church and through our church. And Lord, we want to see that continue. We want to see more people saved. We want to see disciples made. Lord, we want to bear much fruit because Jesus told us that that is how the Father is glorified. Lord, we want to see Your name magnified through the productivity of our ministry in the right way. Lord, forgive us for those many times that we've disobeyed the leading of the Holy Spirit. Lord, we pray for Your grace and Your power to be more faithful and to preach the gospel. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. With heads bowed and eyes closed, You know, our theme this year is sowing and growing. It's something we've returned to on multiple occasions. Because I believe it is something we need to be reminded of. And the message this morning is another reminder that as followers of Christ, we need to be sowing the seed, sharing the message of the gospel. But it's also an encouragement.
that, hey, we're not, we're not in this alone. We're working together. We're laborers with God. We can do this by the grace of God. This morning, as, as an invitation, I just want to invite you to take a moment and pray and talk to God about your part in His plan. I understand that there's different levels of ability, different life stages, a lot of, lot of differences. Not everybody can do everything. But what's your part? What, what does God want you to be doing? How can you be involved? How can you do more? To work together with others, with this church, to reach the world. I want to invite you to have that conversation with the Lord.